Hey everybody, welcome out to episode 14 of the Marketing to Win podcast. Today we're going to talk about lead scoring with Cal Garrett. And no, we're not going to try and convince you on the different things that make up a lead scoring model or why you should do it because MarTech's done enough of that. What we talk about today is how we've overcomplicated a little bit. I mean, it's a good experience, but you can the metrics of lead scoring and MQLs and all that stuff can actually get in the way and make you a less effective marketer if you do it incorrectly. So we talk about that and uh, hope you enjoy. Welcome out, everybody, to the Marketing to Win podcast, where we we look at marketing success, trying to dissect, dissect it a little bit and pick out uh, lessons that can be learned. Today, stoked to talk with Kyle Garrett, who, which actually, by the way, it's funny. I was um, just re- like uh, putting together a couple of like thoughts and notes, and I didn't realize you just barely switched jobs. I so did, I, yeah. Like uh, I, I almost, week I three. I almost didn't look it up. I was going to like go in and just say, Hey, he's from bamboo, but you're not working at bamboo anymore. Um, so, uh, talking with Kyle Garrett, Kyle, go ahead and give, uh, yourself a, a quick intro. Yeah. Happy to be here uh, on the podcast. So, uh, my journey as far as marketing automation and kind of operations goes, uh, five or so years ago, I was a high school teacher. Um, I was teaching high school biology and in the summertime, since teachers don't make enough money and have their summers open, I was actually uh, doing sales for a, for a software company that was based here in Utah. I was actually in Las Vegas. Um, and so I, during one summer, they said, hey, if we move you to Utah, will you be full-time sales? And I said, sure, yeah, I, I had been to school in Utah and stuff, so uh, knew the area. And so we moved and I've been in Mark. And from there, I moved from, from being an account executive to being more of a sales like operations where it was a startup. So everyone kind of has to wear a lot of hats. Right. And they said, Hey, we're going to purchase Salesforce and we're going to purchase Pardot and we know nothing about it. And anyone, <laughs> that's anyone always a good listening, plan. Yes. Anyone listening knows those are two tools you cannot buy without knowing anything about. Um, <laughs> So I volunteered to, to learn Pardot. So um, that's, that's how this all started. So right now I'm working at a company uh, called Fishbowl. Um, and what we have is, a, is an inventory software that kind of bolts on with QuickBooks and allows you to manage your, your inventory, your manufacturing, uh, warehouse stuff. Um, so it allows people to hang out in QuickBooks a little longer than than companies who get to that point where they have to spend lots and lots and lots of money on a more sophisticated kind of accounting and inventory software. So it's a little, it's a, it's a nice little niche and, and it's a, it's a good company. And so that that's currently where I'm at. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, that is one of the more unique ways and paths I think that I've, I've heard of, of getting into ops um, from teaching line. There's been a couple of other of like, you know, the, like the sales to marketing is, I've, I've heard a couple of that to go, but to go from teaching to sales to marketing, um, especially ops, that, that is, a, what did you teach? So I, I taught high school biology. So I had <laughs> freshman classes as well as I had the repeat kids and they were always fun. Yeah, that's awesome. Man, what a transition. That's pretty cool though. Um, okay, so yeah, I think, uh, let's go ahead and dive in and talk a little bit about like some of the things, I mean, you spent a good amount of time at bamboo and um, 
and, and obviously previously in your transition. So um, <clears throat> do you have a couple of experiences in mind that really showcase like, like a, a solid success and um, tee it up a little bit too, like, like explain in the, in the circumstance, like what, what the business was selling, what kind of business they were in, the sales cycle length. Um, I think the size of the marketing teams help, but just set kind of like the context um, and then we'll, and then we'll kind of dive in to, to some of those successes and the stories. Yeah. So I think one, especially, so most recently being at, at Bamboo HR, one of the bigger projects was revamping essentially lead scoring. Lead scoring is like something it's, it's, we all talk about it. We all do it. Um, one thing I learned from going from, so I was at a startup and then I went to a more established, you know, kind of company, if you want to call it that, and then kind of back to a startup and Bamboo HR, which was beyond startup um, in some regards and, and still very much a startup in others. And so the thing about lead scoring that I learned across that journey is everyone wants to do one, but very few people know why they want to do it. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you, you get somewhere and sometimes I would help a startup and they would say, we want a lead scoring, like, okay, so you want some leads to come in, fill out a form and you actually don't ever want to talk to them. That's the end result, right? If you're doing a lead scoring, it's because you, you have fewer people on hand to call than, than you have all the leads that are coming in. Um, most places realize that's not what they're looking for. Right. They just know lead scoring is like a thing that marketing operations people do. And so they ask for it. But but Bamboo HR was the first time where like the business case actually made sense. Um, it's 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 wild how many inbound leads a month Bamboo HR gets the most I've ever worked with. And now now that uh, I'm, I'm not there, I I feel like it's fine to share. So there, we're talking like 30,000 inbound leads a month via their website, which is a ridiculous amount of leads, at least in my career that I had ever seen before. So we very much did not have enough SDRs to call 30,000 inbound leads um, every month, right? Now, before you go on with that, Brent, uh, maybe bucket, like as much as you can, percentages of those that are like um, direct hand raises as like sales talk to me type things, um, I'd throw demos included in that, um, as opposed to more content and related stuff like eBooks or, uh, events. Yeah, that's a good question. So, so out of those hand or out of those 30,000, I would say about 10 to 12 were actual hand raises straight, you know, either starting a trial within our product, which of course would, would trigger in our system would, would trigger a phone call, um, as well as requesting an actual demo of the product, which would trigger the discovery slash set call to, to actually set an appointment with the AE. So 30,000 would come in and then the SDRs would probably handle about 12,000. I should, yeah. I should say it's probably, it's probably less than that because 12,000 includes people who, uh, in, you know, in the scoring model we're about to talk about would score up to a point where they deserved a phone call. Got it. So let's say maybe like seven to 8,000, like, Hey, I'm, I'm in line to talk to sales yeah. right now. Okay, cool. So that's so, and, and that brings up a good point. That's, that's what we have to pare down to, right? We have to decide, what is what does the floodgates look like? How much are we dialing back? How much are we dialing forward and and letting through kind of as the gatekeepers, right? And and doing it in a way that makes the most sense. And 
So the biggest part of lead scoring, in my opinion, is, is just deciding and understanding who's buying from you, right? It's the idea of creating this buyer persona. It's the idea of understanding which behaviors are, are clear buying indicators. Well, yeah, and that's like, that's the big thing, right? Buying intent. So it's not just like, um, it's not just activity on a website or, you know, adding up a certain volume of that. I think, I think really understanding the difference between intent, because especially if you're like full into content stuff, like a lot of, a, a lot of what you deliver, people aren't consuming with buying intent. And so following up with a sales call after that creates a negative experience overall because that's not what they're expecting and i think uh, at least i remember thinking like when i was first putting scoring models in place that's totally something i didn't like it, it sounds so logical but then when you start implementing it it's so easy to forget it because you're like okay well like especially if you need the volume you're just gonna you end up it's so tempting to just push them to the sdrs and say hey guys here you go here's a list yeah, absolutely. And that's, and, and when you're in, in certain situations, you got to realize that, that, that is also okay. Right. Like when you're, when you're, when you're not trying to pare down from 30,000 down to the 12,000 you can handle, you know, that, and that's one of the things you as a marketing ops person keep the pulse on, right. Is like, can we open the floodgates a little bit or can we not do we, you know, are we at that critical point where we're starting to send garbage that's not worth our time or are we holding back some golden nuggets because we have this really stringent, you really have to score this many points or you have to come through this avenue to talk to our SDRs where we're almost like creating this exclusive club that doesn't need to exist, right? People who yep. are like, people who have their credit cards out and are ready to purchase, Yep. right? That's not your role either. Um, so in, in marketing operations in, in, in my opinion, and it's biased because I'm a marketing operations person, it's so different in some regards to just like being on the marketing team or being a marketer. Like we have to have some of those skills and understand those skills, but sometimes we have to scale it bigger. And, and what I mean by that is take creating a, a lead scoring model, for instance, the marketing team really wants to understand the customer, right? Um, so they might do things like a case study where they spend heavy time with one customer, or they might be on the phones, uh, you know, actually understanding the customer. In marketing ops, I felt like I had to understand the customer, but I had to do it on like a more larger scale, right? Like I had to do it. Not only did I want to have kind of the the empathy and understanding of who our customers were, but I but I had to put ones and zeros behind it, right? Yeah. Like we have to create a system. <laughs> That, that also understands who our customers are. And so for us, that was like task number one. So, so at Bamboo HR, the, the marketing team's about you know, 20 people strong, it's big. Um, what's wild is operations is actually a separate branch, a separate department that is also 20, 20 to 25 strong across the company. So, and we act independently. And then they're like uh, sales, marketing and customer service are stakeholders that we kind of uh, deal with and abide by. So sales support and marketing ops are sort of together in their own like f bigger operations group. Correct. We're in our own operations group under the VP of operations. So I would work with like VP of marketing and demand gen manager, but that I did not report to them, which, which we could talk about the whole uh, pros and cons of that and the dynamic that creates, because it is an interesting thing. 
for sure. Yeah, yeah, that one is fascinating. Maybe, um, maybe we'll, let's come back to that. In a little yeah, bit. yeah, let's do that. So talking, talking more on this this project of lead scoring, the first thing we want to do is understand our customers. So we aggregated data from every source we could imagine. Right? We used Marketo. We used Salesforce. Um, we used. Um, Gainsight was the one that our customer service used. So we wanted to combine two things because we wanted to keep things in mind. We obviously want to get more of the people who buy your products, right? That, that's the end goal of everything. But we wanted to, if we were to find out that those people also were the ones who were the quickest to leave, we didn't want to, we didn't want that to be the case. So we wanted to combine who was buying with who was staying as a customer. So we wanted to aggregate that data together. So, so imagine all the things that you, you, you can score on. And of course, there's behavioral and there's demographic, right? So behavioral, I always picture, how are they showing us that they want to buy us, buy the product? Demographic is how badly do we want them as a customer, right? How much of a fit are they for our product? And so when it came to the demographic side, that's really where we spent a lot of our time aggregating the data on who are they that buy from us. And again, tying that to are they the same people who end up staying with us for a long time? Because that's what we really wanted to categorize and score off of. And so what we essentially did is combined, this is the first time I had done this in practice, but we combined behavioral with a demographic to create kind of a grid system, right? So, so your interactions and behavioral could lead you, it was kind of a reverse order. So four being the least engaged, three, two, one being the most engaged, right? And then, and then across like being the best fit for us, that was like you expect from school A, B, C, and D. So essentially, if you were the best fit and a high activity, you were an A1 lead. That's kind of why we did it like that. A1 just sounds, sounds good. Yeah. Um, how, do, how did you, what did you, so you're talking about essentially identifying like uh, factors that would indicate churn potential, right? Like, so tell me, how did you guys like go about figuring that out? Because that's, that's an interesting part of like scoring. You're like, basically I'm trying to identify data that hasn't happened yet and include that in the score. So what did you, how did you go about like, um, adding that as a part of um, your like lead scoring model. Yeah. So for us, that was more heavily geared towards the demographic side, right? We looked at who left and more just who they were. Yeah. Um, so we looked at things like their industry. We looked at who was the job titles of, of who actual were the decision makers on the original purchasing um, we, we looked at their revenue size. We looked at their employee number size. So basically after like all, all was said and done, we, we came to the conclusion of I, our product really works for, for companies that have a company size of say like 50 employees to 300 employees. Cause what we found is above and below that they either churned fast or they were, they churned once they found a product that could more fit their enterprise needs. So it was it was more geared on on who they were that left us maybe not indicators behaviorally that did that, and that was mostly because 
you know, we have these siloed systems, right? We would, we would, we were trying to get to this one source of truth where Gainsight plus Marketo plus Salesforce lived almost uh, agnostic of all of those in this like data warehouse, right? Yeah. And it was pretty daunting and, and still being worked on. But so behavioral wise, we would have loved to have grabbed Gainsight and said, hey, if people, you know, if someone does this many tickets in a year, they're, they're having issues and more likely to churn. We didn't get to that point, but that would have been awesome. Yeah, that the, the uh, whole single source of truth thing is um, is so fascinating because um, like I haven't been in massive companies. My work at Franklin Co. They were they were pretty big, and um, and we were we made attempts. There was attempts to kind of do that, and essentially on their side there was a combination of two systems which doesn't obviously count as a single source of truth because that's that that shows how difficult it is um i'm i'm finding though um so this is taking a little bit of a tangent off of lead scoring and going into the single source of truth idea um so on a marketing team of three at this point and um, teeny company, right? Our at, at CloudUp, our total company is uh, like thirty-five, maybe forty. Um, <clears throat> I have found that it is there's enough hacks isn't the right word, but there's enough paths to be able to combine data the way I need it to that the headache of getting everything into a single place isn't worth it, especially, and now obviously for enterprises, it's a totally different story because because there's the resources to do it. And there, when there's so much data, you have to figure something out. But for small teams like mine, it makes no sense because there's enough connectors through stuff like Zapier or whatever to get enough of the data where I need. Um, like I use webhooks all day long right now like tons of webhooks i i use webhooks to get data into salesforce i use webhooks to get data into like our nps system like just a lot like it's simplified and um and i have found that for small teams that flexibility and nimbleness is really helpful because like if something breaks there's a single path and it's easy to fix and I don't spend too much time worrying about it. Whereas in that like single source of truth, usually there's like there's like five points along the path or there's like three branches and it gets so complex and it's like a nightmare. And I, I feel like I lived that a little bit at Franklin Covey because we were of the company size where we needed to be more flexible, but we had enough infrastructure in place that we were like overcomplicating what we could handle. And that was just like, it was so tough. Yeah, it, it is, it is difficult. And it, and bamboo was probably the first time where we were attempting it and it needed to be attempted. Right. So the single source of truth that what was interesting is um, we had, we had essentially independent analyst team, right? So four, four or five analysts, you know, some are allocated to marketing, some allocated to sales data, some uh, to customer success, some just, you know, FP and a running the business. Right. Um, and so our, the, the idea was to, to just feed all of this data into a separate data warehouse that these, these guys and gals could just write SQL for, right? And, and report out. And it was more for reporting purposes than anything. Because what, what I found is when I was first at Bamboo HR, I spent, I kid you not, probably 80% of my time reconciling what report 
reports that FP&A or marketing analysts were showing versus what the channel managers were seeing in their Salesforce reports, right? They would say, hey, I just pulled this Salesforce report and it says I got, you know, 250 MQLs this week. Uh, but but Power BI, which for us was our data visualization tool, so substitute Tableau, substitute Grow, substitute whatever, yeah. Gecko board, right, um, is saying I've got 227, right? So I'm missing 23 of these MQLs. Where did they go? Yeah. So the hard part was when you get analysts on it, man, I mean, there, there is so many, so many scripts and so many lines and so many filters that like, it would take you 20 minutes just to, to repeat those in Salesforce, right? So they're just not pulling the same report. So yep. it just creates this like busy work of, of is me tracking down these 23 MQLs really hinging on whether or not your channel was successful this month? Probably not in our case, right? So I, I definitely get both sides, right? I've, I've seen where just anyone being able to pull a report so that it's, it's kind of ubiquitous or there's multiple sources for it. That's been great. But then I see where if everyone has their hands kind of in the analytics pot, um, you start to have these disparities of, well, I actually, our conversion rates look like this. And I thought they, you know, were this. And so now we're just talking about which conversion rate do we look for? So, so I think whichever, I guess the answer is whichever one gets you to have less of those conversations is yep. the way for your company to go. Yeah. So that's great. Okay. So I'm going to kind of tie that back into lead scoring and you can tell me how I'm wrong. I think you'll differ a little bit on this opinion, um, which is good. So uh, at Franklin Covey, I did a lot of similar stuff that you did at Bamboo, like figuring out lead scoring models, um, activity, whatever. Um, fast forward to today in the past, I probably 12 months, 12, 14 months, I've completely changed how I define an MQL and it's like, it's oversimplified. So an MQL for me is literally the hand raise of somebody that's willing to talk to sales and they fit our ideal customer profile. So I've got the demographic side, which is part of lease scoring, right? But from a behavioral point, I'm it's like, I'm looking for people who say they wanted to talk to me. I'm not looking at like email opens, clicks. I'm not looking at like how many ebooks they looked at. I'm not looking at any of the content stuff. I don't send any of that to my SDRs right now. It's literally just, um, <clears throat> and we're on a, for, for context too, um, th there is some different work that we're doing on the product side where uh, it's because we're freemium SaaS. So we get a lot of people in that are trying the product. And so we're, we're, we're product-led growth. So that's a different beast. But for, speaking marketing specifically, I've cut it down to just hand raises. So demos, sales contact us forms. And then we have another form for like um, asking for an enterprise, enterprise quote. There's three forms. Like MQLs only come from those three forms. And if they have the right title, then it comes in front of our SDRs. So I don't, I don't have a scoring model. So tell, tell me, tell, tell me, tell me why, why I'm wrong to do that or not. I, I actually don't think you're wrong. I don't think you're wrong at all. The, the beauty of what, what we do and people like us is we just design the system. This is what I tell people. They say, well, what does marketing ops do, right? I, where, I, where I would currently hire my new job, they don't even know what marketing operations is, which is fine because they've never had it. So I had to present to them like, well, what do you, what do you actually do? What does marketing ops even do? What is, that, what is that? To me, 
it comes down to like one simple sentence. All I'm trying to do is to deliver the right message to the right person at the right time. And that's all I'm trying to do. And so if, if downloading a piece of content from my company, company XYZ, if that is not any indicator that you should talk to sales, then that's not the message I want to send. So if that doesn't work for you, that doesn't work for you. What's interesting is after everything I've said about lead scoring, Bamboo HR actually ran like a tandem model. Anything that was MQL is actually what you're talking about. Um, it was only if you started a trial, asked for a price quote, or uh, wanted to schedule a demo, right? Those are the only things that in our system actually made you an MQL. So in tandem, what we did is our lead scoring, all it did was create this new, um, what we called prioritized demand. And that's where once the SDRs got through their normal cadence of, hey, here's everyone who says they want to talk to you now. So they're a first priority. Yep. We filled their time with, hey, we're going to have 20,000 other leads. Instead of just going alphabetical, we'll surface what we feel like will be most likely to take the next steps with you as an SDR. So you're not wrong because we did the same thing. My scoring model uh, that, I, that I created with, we were lucky enough to have two marketing operations people at the same time at Bamboo HR. Um, that we created together was essentially to take the high funnel content and understand who should be prioritized in those larger buckets. Okay. Yeah. Well then that makes sense. If we were like along the same lines, because yeah, I haven't met there, there aren't, there are some out there. Um, and what I'm, there are companies out there that have enough inbound hand raises for their sales team to spend all their time with they're very few though and if they do have them i would imagine most of them probably like don't last there very long because then they're growing and so then they're like well let's get more people to follow up with these and and um and, and so that prioritization, I think that makes sense and is where we're headed down, I think with like the product led growth stuff where um, not everything we're surfacing to the sales team is, uh, not everything we're surfacing to the sales team is like indicates buying intent, but there's significant product usage and behavioral stuff that paired with the demographics. And we're like, I think we're doing what, you know, the same thing you're saying. Um, I think my, the point is, is that for anybody listening, especially with like new marketing operations, folks, the tendency, I, I think that the tendency and easy thing to do is get caught up in scoring activities and every activity, like, like if you go through, I haven't been through Marketo's courses. Um, we had Eloqua over at, uh, Franklin Covey. But you go through those courses and when they talk about lead scoring, they're like, oh, if a contact, you know, fills out two forms, then you can score it higher. If they visited five high value pages, then you can add 30 points to the score. And you start going through these courses that Martech's kind of putting on you and you're like, hey, uh, that's uh, that makes sense. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I'm going to do it. And then before you know it, you have like 12 factors going into this lead scoring model that it takes to like and and like you need seven of the 12 to get to qualified or whatever and now when 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 the sdr or sales team finally sees them they have no idea what they actually did 
they just know that there's this kind of like nebulous formula that marketing says they're ready for and 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 it's and it's so complicated that um to your point about right message person um people in time like you've forgotten what the prospect experience is like what they might be looking for and um and the complexity to your point you're having these conversations that just slow you down and are doing the opposite of what you were trying to do yeah absolutely and i think you're spot on i think uh, you'll find that if after you've built elite scoring and if you do exactly what you're talking about right if you're just hey every every web page visit is a point every you know every content downloaded is 25 points you know when they get to 100 they're ready you know, maybe demo trial pricing is hundred points by itself. You basically just have this artificial threshold that you're having people cross. I can't tell you how many times exactly what you said happens. SDRs go, I, what do I talk to them about? I don't, I don't know what they, I don't know what they did. What is this? You know, cause we had, we had, we got to the, the complex point where like um, basically the activity I would show up in Salesforce was like this cryptic, 10 digit code that marketing made up for attribution purposes. Like we could decipher it with our analytics team, but as an SDR, you would have no idea that that 10 digit code means, Oh, they downloaded our, um, you know, definitive guide to culture. Um, And, and, and so it's like, what do you, what do you even talk about even though you're servicing these right leads? Um, And so I, I totally agree that, that just creating a lead scoring. And that's kind of what I, well, what I alluded to at the beginning is just creating a lead scoring model for the sake of creating a lead scoring model is not going to be an improvement on your system. It's just not. Yeah. Okay. So to that point, what improvements did you see from where you started and then where you ended up in this time span? Yeah. So, so we, uh, one of the things I was really lucky for that was fortunate for everyone that works at Bamboo HR is you're trusted to be an expert in your field and you're trusted to, to sometimes, I don't want to say go with your gut because that sounds cliche, but like I, we were able to create this lead scoring system on the best data we thought we had and then let it ride, right? Put it out in the wild, let it happen. And then we could see if the results were good. So what was really cool is then we went back, right? Six, 30, 60, 90 days later, and we did that same grid, right? So imagine a matrix uh, in Excel spreadsheet, Google sheet, what, you know, your, your preference, hopefully not numbers, even though I'm a Mac guy, um, (laughs) hopefully use something better. So imagine a grid where, you know, one, two, three, four on, on the left-hand side, ABCD across the top. And then we took every box and we calculated the conversion rate for those, for that box. Right. So does an A1 actually convert better than a C3 or does a B2 better than a B3 for some reason. What was your time frame within conversion? Within um well since our sales the sales cycle bamboo HR is two weeks. So I mean we would have I mean even if we did infinite it it tapered off so so quickly that we felt like even if we let uh you know the infinite of time be the conversion metric it it wouldn't it didn't change our scale very much. It just was more of a headache to figure out that sweet spot. Yep. But imagine the sell cycle being two weeks, so really short. So the conversion even shorter. <laughs> um, so what we found is is that we we did a pretty dang good job, right? Our A1s were converting at the highest. That's all we wanted, right? Volume wasn't going to change for us. We just wanted efficiency. And the fact that we saw that we were right 
in the conversion rates that leads that came in as A1s that were then moved on from SDR team to the sales team. That was that was our highest kind of bubble. And we took the quadrant, right? So maybe A1, A2, B1, B2, that kind of quadrant. We saw a trend of higher, higher conversions to what we called an SQL, right? A sales qualified lead where, where SDR said, yes, it's good. And then we had sales accepted lead, uh, which means that the, the uh, then account executive said, yeah, this is a good lead from you. So we kind of had MQL, SQL, which was technically SDRs, and then, and then a sales accepted lead or sales accepted opportunity, even SAO, where, where they said, sell says, yeah, this is good. So the conversion across that board where we really took lead all the way to SAO, we kind of cut out the middle for that, uh, those conversion rates. We found that we had created a good model. So all that told us, right? All that did was reassurance that using our prioritization system to not, not necessarily say what is qualified and what's not, but to say, if you, if you were to go in Salesforce and create a list view and start it by, hey, start with A1s, then, then A2s, and then you know, creating that, that cascading effect after you're done with those hand raises, that'll be the most effective use of your time. Mm -hmm. so, so it was just optimizing those SDRs time, not necessarily being the floodgate or being the gatekeeper of everything else, but to say, hey, anyone who raises their hand, A-okay with me, pass them on. But when you're done with those, because like you said, no one in the world is too busy to or you know once they're done to get to everyone who wants to buy your product right there's i wish we're not we're not nike we're not you know we're not target and so we're not like selling all of our stuff but so it was just reassuring to then have this data backing uh you know 30 60 90 days later to say yes the all the data all the legwork we did is indeed the right way to prioritize these leads for the sdrs making them more efficient which then, yeah, I mean, it, it bleeds all the way through. Sales is hitting goals they haven't hit before. SDRs are setting more than they were able to before. All because, not because you're giving them more qualified stuff. You're, you're spending the same dollars in the front. Marketing was spending the same money in the same channels month after month. All you did was, was help them prioritize their time better. It's a cool thing to see. It's like one of those moments as a marketing office where you're like, no one's going to know this but me. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's nice to see that something I did at least made someone else's job along that funnel easier. Yeah, that's cool. Well, thanks for taking the time, Kyle. Um, it's been really good. I think there's a lot of like good concepts in this conversation about lead scoring to, to keep in mind. And, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully people uh, found value out of it. I'm sure they did. Well, uh, if you connect with Kyle on LinkedIn, find him. Uh, and uh, uh, again, we'll appreciate the time and uh, uh, we'll we'll catch up sometime soon, I'm sure. Awesome. Thanks, Michael. Yep.